Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Each week, I welcome people of all faith traditions to join me as we explore the Bible and our faith for insights relevant to our time and situation. This week, we continue our Advent journey to discover the deeper meanings of the time leading up to our celebration of the good news of Christmas. This week, even though Christmas lies ahead of us, I'm going to fast forward about 30 years to when John the Baptist and Jesus, whose miraculous birth we hear about in the Christmas story, are now adults fulfilling their destiny as it was predicted in the Christmas story. We begin in the third chapter of the Gospel of Luke. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked asked of him, And what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from everyone by threats of false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them, saying, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. One of the ways that we know Christmas is coming is by the music we constantly hear in public places and on TV as well as in churches. Many of them are religious oldies but goodies like Silent Night and Joy to the World. Even more of them are secular songs like White Christmas and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Most of the true Advent songs are unfamiliar even to dedicated churchgoers like Prepare the Royal Highway and On Jordan's Banks, The Baptist Cries. You don't hear those in elevators during Advent. But all of these songs are to let us know that Christmas is on the way. We're praying for the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. We're preparing a highway for the birth of Jesus. It's beginning to look and sound a lot like Christmas. Plus, we'd better get our shopping done. 
After what has been happening in the world recently, we can use some good news. We're all hungry for a Merry Christmas this year. And when I started to think about this sermon, I decided that we all need to go to a good place. And the gospel story that I have chosen for this week, the story of John the Baptist preparing for the birth of Jesus, I think takes us to that good place. Let me back up for a minute. When we are preparing to hear the Christmas story, it helps to know that there are really two interwoven stories. Not only do we hear the story of the events leading up to the birth of Jesus, we also hear the story of how his cousin John the Baptist was born. These two babies were both born under miraculous circumstances. Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, was beyond childbearing years. Mary was young, unmarried, and a virgin. Mary goes to visit her kinswoman, Elizabeth, during the time that they were both pregnant. And we're told that when Mary comes into Elizabeth's presence, Elizabeth's baby does somersaults in her belly. And when you think about it, the story starts off with a joyous and touching family moment. God has blessed both of these women together. From this moment on, it is clear that the destinies of John and Jesus are inextricably connected. John, who was born first, has come to prepare the way for Jesus. The story of their births foreshadows the drama and the tragedy that will unfold throughout their short lives. Both of them will be acknowledged as prophets who have been sent to the people of Israel. John is preparing the people and the world for the message that Jesus is about to bring. If you've driven Interstate 90 from Illinois to the state line in Madison over the past couple of years, you know that building a new road takes a lot of work and preparation and a lot of time. It would take John about 30 years to prepare the way for Jesus. In today's lesson, when John addresses the people who come out to be baptized by him, he not only tells them that he has come to prepare the way for Jesus, but he also makes it clear what the road that Jesus heads down is going to be like. Now I said we're going to a good place today, and we are, but the story starts out kind of ominously. John is pretty harsh with the people who have sought him out. He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, for that, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. See, it's important to note that this is not one of those situations where John is talking to the Pharisees or religious leaders of the establishment. This seems to be a diverse crowd of folks from all walks of life who are going out to be baptized, rich and poor. We're told that there are even tax collectors and soldiers there. Mostly, it was probably just ordinary people like you and me 
This is a message for the common man, for everybody. And it would be like me saying to you, you snakes in the grass, why are you hypocrites listening to this today? Don't think that just because you call yourself Christian or a believer that God will save you. God doesn't need you. God can do better than that. In fact, if you don't get your acts together, God is going to throw the whole lot of you into burning hell. Whoops, I forgot. I'm supposed to be taking this to a good place, but it's coming. See, John is telling people not just uh, to rely on their piety or, in their case, their Jewishness. This transfers for us into the message that we should not just rely on our Lutheranness or Catholicness or Christianness or our faithfulness. There's more to it than that. And John and Jesus have the same message. When Jesus comes, John says, he's going to have some expectations. Of course, then, the people want to know, what are we supposed to do? What does he expect? Now, I bet you're prepared for some outrageous demands. We expect John to say that we have to be perfect like God is perfect. Jesus does say that in one place. Or maybe he's going to tell us that we're going to have to sell everything we own and give it all away and go live like a hermit somewhere. We're going to have to become saints. He's going to put forward expectations, I bet, that we will never live up to. Surprise. The demands that John talks about are pretty moderate. I was shocked when I read this lesson this week. Shocked every time I read it. I never don't realize how reasonable John's demands are. I've always assumed that John is a wide-eyed radical. But here's what John says, and remember, that he's not talking for himself, but preparing us for the message of Jesus that's to come. He says, Share your food and clothing with the poor and the hungry when you have more than you need. If you are a tax collector, be honest and collect only what's due. If you're a soldier, don't abuse your power and extort money. Be satisfied with your pay. Numbers 2 and 3 could be summed up as be honest and reasonable in what you do. That's it. The first thing that comes to my mind is, by golly, we can do this. I don't know one person, anybody out there listening, who can't live up to this list. This is not one of those Bible stories that we know from the get-go that we'll never be able to measure up to. And that's why the passage ends by saying that John proclaimed the good news. The good news is we can do this. Let's dwell on this good place for a minute and think about what we can do to walk in the way of the Lord, to walk down the path that John is preparing. Without sounding too simplistic or stating the obvious, opportunities abound for us to share God's blessings with other people, especially at Christmas time. Every time you go to the grocery store this month, you're going to get dinged by Salvation Army bell ringers. I've noticed that a lot of people, 
uh, out there, a lot of people I know mine these pots. So I particularly feel obligated to give. And good for you folks who are out there ringing those bells. So I've learned to carry around pockets full of change this time of year. Okay, maybe with inflation I should pull out my wallet. So this year I'll be sure I have plenty of ones with me. We all feel good about those little interactions around those red pots. We can do this. You know, a lot of that money is used for food, and it's a lot of money. Maybe you can go and help prepare and serve a meal at Salvation Army this season. I've done that before. That feels good. It's something we can do. It's something that is pleasing to God, no matter how small it may seem. Despite some of our economic reverses, many of us are blessed to live in this prosperous country. But I live in a pretty unforgiving environment this year. There are a lot of kids that go to school in the morning in Wisconsin inadequately dressed. John says, if you have two coats, give one of them away. Our main problem at home is that we don't have enough room in our coat, coat, coat closet for all the puffy down parkas and coats for every occasion, many of which we never wear anymore. I can clean out my closet and do exactly what John says. Literally. Easy peasy. And it will make a real difference. And there are any number of resources that we can make use to make sure that good clothing helps someone's. Those sound like little things, and they are. And we could easily get caught in the trap of letting ourselves off the hook too easily by getting rid of a few hand-me-downs. But Jesus says, If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. I think that the Advent season, season leading up to Christmas serves a larger purpose. Give a little trains our hearts to do a lot. John talks about God separating out, separating out the wheat from the chaff and throwing the chaff into the fire. It's not as though some of us and some of you who are listening are wheat and some of us are chaff and some of us are generous and some of us are scrooges. We've all got a little wheat and a little chaff in our hearts mixed together. We can all be generous and selfish at the same time. The act of Christian giving burns away some of the chaff and the selfishness. When the chaff is burned away, we are likely to be awakened to the much larger issues that confront us and the massive global nature of poverty and need. There are 50 million refugees scattered around the globe right now. Only a fraction of those are from Central America. Most of them are hungry. Many are exposed to the cold without proper shelter and clothing. Many aren't just hungry, they're starving to death. It will require more of us than a few handouts to solve those problems. 
but maybe accomplishing a little, we will be moved to try to accomplish a lot. Who knows what seeing that poor couple from Nazareth seeking, seeking shelter to have their baby will inspire us to do, will inspire young people to do. We have to keep telling that story. We may be inspired to advocate for political and social changes. We may be willing to sacrifice some of our comfort and convenience for the welfare of others. There may be another side benefit of our heightened sense of compassion that's epidemic at Christmas. Our loving awareness has the potential to heal some of the fractures that divide us as people and get in the way of our effectiveness to bring about change. I'm talking about the polarization that exists in our countries surrounding the issues of social justice. Stake out one of those Salvation Army pots and you will see people of all political and socioeconomic perspectives reaching into their pockets. When we witness that, we realize that we are all motivated by the same compassion and Christ-like love. Instead of seeing each other as political adversaries, we can see ourselves as human partners. We can only hope. The other two admonitions that John makes are related. Be honest as a tax collector and don't abuse your power to extort people. Tax collectors and soldiers were two of the most feared and hated people in the society of John's day. Tax collectors were free agents who could profit from any extra taxes that they could collect. Roman soldiers were foreign occupiers who also were apt to abuse their power without much restraint. It's interesting that these two types of people came out to be baptized by John in the first place. And notice that John does not condemn the practice of taxation as long as it's implemented fairly, nor does he condemn soldiers for serving. They were the source of order in society when they weren't acting as oppressors. Once again, he just says that soldiers should act within the confines of their assigned duties. Admittedly, we no longer have freelance tax collectors in our society. Instead, we can take this as John's demand for honesty among his followers and to curb our greed. This could apply to some people today who take advantage of public office for personal and financial gain. We too see too many examples of that. But I would apply it more generally to all of us. We all have opportunities to be dishonest and greedy. In the workplace, that dishonesty can range from embezzling from our employer to cheating on the hours that we work. When Jesus tells the tax collectors not to take more than is coming to them, he's also appealing to them not to be greedy. Greed, you know, is one of the seven deadly sins. A greedy person can act entirely within the law and still take advantage of others every chance they get. Greed is the force that causes us to always want more, no matter how much we already have. We're witnessing a growing disparity 
between the haves and the have-nots throughout the world. This can apply to the super-rich, but it can also apply to those of us in the so-called developed world to hoard more and more of the world's resources and wealth. An unfortunate example is the inequitable distribution of vaccine to fight the COVID pandemic. Less than 10% of the African continent has access to vaccine, while in the United States we have enough to fully vaccinate and, and boost our entire population. The antidote to greed is benevolence and a willingness to share. We see that many wealthy individuals use their wealth to combat hunger, poverty, and disease. They intentionally work to promote opportunity for the workers that they employ. The U.S. is part of a global effort to supply vaccines to developing nations and promote the health of underserved populations in the world. These types of behaviors are a good start. It's what John's talking about. They're not enough. We need more people of means who are willing to work for social and governmental change that sometimes go against their best interests. It's called sacrificial giving. In addition to encouraging generosity and benevolence, due to human nature, we have to work to assure that the greedy are not given unfair opportunities to exploit or game the system. Finally, John's admonition to the soldiers in the group has a wider application than applying to today's military. We are all too familiar, familiar with police officers, those who are armed and are given the power over life and death over others, sometimes abusing their authority to kill or harm uh, others that they protect are to protect and serve. Our lesson today can speak directly to those who abuse their sacred authority and the systems that tolerate and even encourage such abuse. Growing awareness of the abuse of power is bringing about changes that will restore the confidence and trust in law enforcement that they really deserve. But we don't need to carry a gun to exert authority over others. There are all sorts of situations where we hold power. Employers and supervisors have power over their employees by virtue of controlling their livelihood. Parents exert power over their children. In the school setting, teachers hold power and authority over their students. Whenever there is an imbalance in power in a relationship, the possibility of abuse exists. John is saying that in the coming kingdom of God, which Jesus will usher in, power and authority will be exercised with justice and compassion. We can do this. We can be a part of the kingdom of God, a kingdom characterized by justice and compassion for all people and all peoples on the earth. John has prepared the way for us to receive the true light coming into the world, a light that will lead us into the kingdom. Christmas is coming. True love is coming into the world. Open wide your heart and pave the way for him to come in. Amen. 
Thank you for joining me today. May God prepare your heart and your home for the blessings of Christmas. Joy to the world and peace and joy to you.